to Prose Were the Days. Thank you for joining us for our sixth installment of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. If you're reading along, today's episode encompasses chapters 18 through 20. Do you have your tea? Today I have ginger lemongrass. Great, let's dive back in. Chapter 18. The twelve years, continued Mrs. Dean, following that dismal period, were the happiest of my life. My greatest troubles in their passage rose from our little lady's trifling illnesses, which she had to experience in common with all children, rich and poor. For the rest, after the first six months, she grew like a larch, and could walk and talk, too, in her own way, before the heath blossomed a second time over Mrs. Linton's dust. She was the most winning thing that ever brought sunshine into a desolate house, a real beauty in face, with the Earnshaw's handsome dark eyes, but the Linton's fair skin and small features and yellow curling hair. Her spirit was high, though not rough, and qualified by a heart, sensitive and lively to excess in its affections. That capacity for intense attachments reminded me of her mother. Still, she did not resemble her, for she could be soft and mild as a dove, and she had a gentle voice and pensive expression. Her anger was never furious, her love never fierce, it was deep and tender. However, it must be acknowledged she had faults to foil her gifts. A propensity to be saucy was one, and a perverse will that indulged children invariably acquire, whether they be good-tempered or cross. If a servant chanced to vex her, it was always, I shall tell papa, and if he reproved her, even by a look, you would have thought it a heartbreaking business. You would have thought it a heartbreaking business. I don't believe he ever did speak a harsh word to her. He took her education entirely on himself and made it an amusement. Fortunately, curiosity and a quick intellect urged her into an apt scholar. She learned rapidly and eagerly and did honor to his teaching. Till she reached the age of 13, she had not once been beyond the range of the park by herself. Mr. Linton would take her with him a mile or so outside, on rare occasions, but he trusted her to no one else. Gimmerton was an unsubstantial name in her ears, the chapel, the only building she had approached or entered, except her own home. Wuthering Heights and Mr. Heathcliff did not exist for her. She was a perfect recluse, and, apparently, perfectly contented. Sometimes, indeed, while surveying the country from her nursery window, she would observe, "'Ellen, how long will it be before I can walk to the top of those hills? I wonder what lies on the other side. Is it the sea?' No, Miss Cathy, I would answer, it is hills again, just like these. And what are those golden rocks like when you stand under them? She once asked. The abrupt descent of Pennistone Crags particularly attracted her notice, especially when the setting sun shone on it, and the topmost heights and the whole extent of landscape beside lay in shadow. I explained that they were bare masses of stone, with hardly enough earth in their clefts to nourish a stunted tree. And why are they so bright so long after it is evening here? She pursued. Because they are a great deal higher up than we are, replied I. You could not climb them. They are too high and steep. In winter, the frost is always there before it comes to us, and deep into summer I have found snow under that black hollow on the northeast side. Oh, you have been on them, she cried gleefully. Then I can go too, when I am a woman. Has Papa been, Ellen? Papa would tell you, miss, I answered hastily, that they are not worth the trouble of visiting. The moors, where you ramble with him, are much nicer, and Thrushcross Park is the finest place in the world. But I know the park, and I don't know those, she murmured to herself and I should delight to look round me, from the brow of that tallest point. My little pony Minnie shall take me some time. One of the maids, mentioning the fairy cave, quite turned her head with a desire to fulfill this project. She teased Mr. Linton about it, and he promised she should have the journey when she got older. But Miss Catherine measured her age by months, and, Now, am I old enough to go to Penistone Crags? was the constant question in her mouth. The road thither wound close by Wuthering Heights. Edgar had not the heart to pass it, so she received as constantly the answer, Not yet, love, not yet. I said Mrs. Heathcliff lived above a dozen years after quitting her husband. Her family were of a delicate constitution. She and Edgar both lacked the ready health that you will generally meet in these parts. What her last illness was, I am not certain. 
I conjecture they died of the same thing, a kind of fever, slow at its commencement but incurable, and rapidly consuming life towards the close. She wrote to inform her brother of the probable conclusion of a four months indisposition under which she had suffered, and entreated him to come to her, if possible, for she had much to settle and she wished to bid him adieu and deliver Linton safely into his hands. Her hope was that Linton might be left with him as he had been with her. His father, she would fain convince herself, had no desire to assume the burden of his maintenance or education. My master hesitated not a moment in complying with her request. Reluctant as he was to leave home at ordinary calls, he flew to answer this, commending Catherine to my particular vigilance in his absence, with reiterated orders that she must not wander out of the park, even under my escort. He did not calculate on her going unaccompanied. He was away three weeks. The first day or two, my charge sat in a corner of the library, too sad for either reading or playing. In that quiet state, she caused me little trouble, but it was succeeded by an interval of impatient, fretful weariness, and being too busy and too old then to run up and down amusing her, I hit on a method by which she might entertain herself. I used to send her on travels round the grounds, now on foot and now on a pony, indulging her with a patient audience of all her real and imaginary adventures when she returned. The summer shone in full prime, and she took such a taste for this solitary rambling that she often contrived to remain out from breakfast till tea, and then the evenings were spent in recounting her fanciful tales. I did not fear her breaking bounds, because the gates were generally locked, and I thought she would scarcely venture forth alone if they had stood wide open. Unluckily, my confidence proved misplaced. Catherine came to me one morning at eight o'clock, and said she was that day an Arabian merchant, going to cross the desert with his caravan, and I must give her plenty of provision for herself and beasts, a horse and three camels, personated by a large hound and a couple of pointers. I got together a good store of dainties, and slung them in a basket on one side of the saddle, and she sprang up as gay as a fairy, sheltered by her wide-brimmed hat and gauze veil from the July sun, and trotted off with a merry laugh, mocking my cautious counsel to avoid galloping and come back early. The naughty thing never made her appearance at tea. One traveller, the hound, being an old dog and fond of its ease, returned, but neither Cathy nor the pony nor the two pointers were visible in any direction, and I dispatched emissaries down this path and that path, and at last went wandering in search of her myself. There was a laborer working at a fence round a plantation, on the borders of the grounds. I inquired of him if he had seen our young lady. I saw her at morn, he replied. She would have me to cut her a hazel switch, and then she leapt her galloway over the hedge yonder, where it is lowest, and galloped out of sight. You may guess how I felt at hearing this news. It struck me directly she must have started for Penistone Crags. What will become of her? I ejaculated, pushing through a gap, which the man was repairing, and making straight to the high road. I walked as if for a wager, mile after mile, till a turn brought me in view of the heights, but no Catherine could I detect far or near. The crags lie about a mile and a half beyond Mr. Heathcliff's place, and that is four from the Grange, so I began to fear night would fall ere I could reach them. And what if she should have slipped in clambering among them, I reflected, and been killed or broken some of her bones? My suspense was truly painful, and at first it gave me delightful relief to observe, in hurrying by the farmhouse, Charlie, the fiercest of the pointers, lying under a window with swelled head and bleeding ear. I opened the wicket and ran to the door, knocking vehemently for admittance. A woman whom I knew, and who formerly lived at Gimmerton, answered. She had been servant there since the death of Mr. Earnshaw. "'Ah,' said she, "'you are come a-seeking your little mistress. Don't be frightened. She's here safe. But I'm glad it isn't the master.' "'He is not home, then, is he?' I panted, quite breathless with quick walking and alarm. "'No, no,' she replied. "'Both he and Joseph are off, and I think they won't return this hour or more. Step in and rest you a bit.' I entered, and beheld my stray limb, seated on the hearth, rocking herself in a little chair that had been her mother's when a child. Her hat was hung against the wall, and she seemed perfectly at home, laughing and chattering in the best spirits imaginable to Hareton, now a great strong lad of eighteen, who stared at her with considerable curiosity and astonishment, comprehending precious little of the fluent succession of remarks and questions which her tongue never ceased pouring forth. "'Very well, miss,' I exclaimed, concealing my joy under an angry countenance. "'This is your last ride till papa comes back. I'll not trust you over the threshold again, you naughty, naughty girl!' 
Aha, Ellen, she cried gaily, jumping up and running to my side. I shall have a pretty story to tell you tonight, and so you found me out. Have you ever been here in your life before? Put that hat on and home at once, said I. I'm dreadfully grieved at you, Miss Cathy. You've done extremely wrong. It's no use pouting and crying. That won't repay the trouble I've had, scouring the country after you. To think how Mr. Linton charged me to keep you in, and you stealing off so. It shows you are a cunning little fox, and nobody will put faith in you any more. What have I done? sobbed she, instantly checked. Papa charged me nothing. He'll not scold me, Ellen. He's never cross like you. Come, come, I repeated. I'll tie the ribbon. Now, let us have no petulance. Oh, for shame. You thirteen years old and such a baby. This exclamation was caused by her pushing the hat from her head and retreating to the chimney out of my reach. Nay, said the servant, don't be hard on the body lass, Mrs. Dean. We made her stop. She'd fain have ridden forwards, afeard you should be uneasy. But Hareton offered to go with her, and I thought he should. It's a wild road over the hills. Hareton, during the discussion, stood with his hands in his pockets, too awkward to speak, though he looked as if he did not relish my intrusion. "'How long am I to wait?' I continued, disregarding the woman's interference. "'It will be dark in ten minutes. Where is the pony, Miss Cathy, and where is Phoenix?' "'I shall leave you unless you be quick, so please yourself.' "'The pony is in the yard,' she replied, "'and Phoenix is shut in there. He's bitten, and so is Charlie. I was going to tell you all about it, but you are in a bad temper and don't deserve to hear.' I picked up her hat and approached to reinstate it, but perceiving that the people of the house took her part, she commenced capering round the room, and, on my giving chase, ran like a mouse, over and under and behind the furniture, rendering it ridiculous for me to pursue. Hareton and the woman laughed, and she joined them, and waxed more impertinent still, till I cried in great irritation. "'Well, Miss Cathy, if you were aware whose house this is, you'd be glad enough to get out.' "'It's your father's, isn't it?' said she, turning to Hareton. "'Nay,' he replied, looking down and blushing bashfully. He could not stand a steady gaze from her eyes, though they were just his own. "'Worse, then, your master's?' she asked." He colored deeper, with a different feeling, muttered an oath, and turned away. "'Who is his master?' continued the tiresome girl, appealing to me. "'He talked about our house and our folk. I thought he had been the owner's son. And he never said, miss. He should have done, shouldn't he, if he's a servant?' Hareton grew black as a thundercloud at this childish speech. I silently shook my questioner, and, at last, succeeded in equipping her for departure. "'Now get my horse,' she said, addressing her unknown kinsman, as she would one of the stable boys at the Grange, "'and you may come with me. I want to see where the goblin hunter rises in the marsh, and to hear about the farishes, as you call them, but make haste. What's the matter? Get my horse, I say.' "'I'll see thee damned before I be thy servant,' growled the lad. "'You'll see me what?' asked Catherine in surprise. "'Damned, thou saucy witch,' he replied. "'There, Miss Cathy, you see you have gotten to pretty company,' I interposed. "'Nice words to be used to a young lady.' "'Pray, don't begin to dispute with him. Come, let us seek for many ourselves and be gone.' "'But Ellen,' cried she, staring, fixed in astonishment, "'how dare he speak so to me? Mustn't he be made to do as I ask? You wicked creature, I shall tell papa what you said. Now, then!' Hareton did not appear to feel this threat, so the tears sprang into her eyes with indignation. "'You bring the pony,' she exclaimed, turning to the woman, "'and let my dog free this moment.' "'Softly, miss,' answered the addressed. "'You'll lose nothing by being civil.' "'Though Mr. Hareton there be not the master's son, he's your cousin, and I was never hired to serve you.' "'He, my cousin!' cried Cathy, with a scornful laugh. "'Yes, indeed,' responded her reprover. "'Oh, Ellen, don't let them say such things,' she pursued in great trouble. "'Papa has gone to fetch my cousin from London. My cousin is a gentleman's son.' "'That my—' she stopped and wept outright, upset at the bare notion of relationship with such a clown. "'Hush, hush,' I whispered. "'People can have many cousins and of all sorts, Miss Cathy.' without being any the worse for it, only they needn't keep their company if they be disagreeable and bad. He's not, he's not my cousin, Ellen, she went on, gathering fresh grief from reflection and flinging herself into my arms for refuge from the idea. I was much vexed at her and the servant for their mutual revelations, 
having no doubt of Linton's approaching arrival, communicated by the former, being reported to Mr. Heathcliff, and feeling as confident that Catherine's first thought on her father's return would be to seek an explanation of the latter's assertion concerning her rude-bred kindred, for he meant not. Hareton, recovering from his disgust at being taken for a servant, seemed moved by her distress, and, having fetched the pony round to the door, he took to propitiate her, a fine, crooked-legged terrier whelped from the kennel, and putting it into her hand, bid her wished. Pausing in her lamentations, she surveyed him with a glance of awe and horror, then burst forth anew. I could scarcely refrain from smiling at this antipathy to the poor fellow, who was a well-made, athletic youth, good-looking in features and stout and healthy, but attired in garments befitting his daily occupations of working on the farm and lounging among the moors after rabbits and game. Still, I thought I could detect in his physiognomy a mind owning better qualities than his father ever possessed. Good things lost amid a wilderness of weeds, to be sure, whose rankness far overtopped their neglected growth. Yet, notwithstanding, evidence of a wealthy soil that might yield luxuriant crops under other unfavorable circumstances. Mr. Heathcliff, I believe, had not treated him physically ill, thanks to his fearless nature, which offered no temptation to that course of oppression. It had none of the timid susceptibility that would have given zest to ill treatment in Heathcliff's judgment. He appeared to have bent his malevolence on making him a brute. He was never taught to read or write, never rebuked for any bad habit which did not annoy his keeper, never led a single step towards virtue, or guarded by a single precept against vice. And from what I heard, Joseph contributed much to his deterioration by a narrow-minded partiality which prompted him to flatter and pet him as a boy because he was the head of the old family. And, as he had been in the habit of accusing Catherine Earnshaw and Heathcliff, when children, of putting the master past his patience and compelling him to seek solace and drink by what he termed their awful ways, so at present he laid the whole burden of Hareton's faults on the shoulders of the usurper of his property. If the lad swore, he wouldn't correct him, nor however culpably he behaved. It gave Joseph satisfaction, apparently, to watch him go the worst lengths. He allowed that he was ruined, that his soul was abandoned to perdition, but then he reflected that Heathcliff must answer for it. Hareton's blood would be required at his hands, and there lay immense consolation in that thought. Joseph had instilled into him a pride of name and of his lineage. He would, had he dared, have fostered hate between him and the present owner of the heights, but his dread of that owner amounted to superstition, and he confined his feelings regarding him to muttered innuendos and private combinations. I don't pretend to be intimately acquainted with the mode of living customary in those days at Wuthering Heights. I only speak from hearsay, for I saw a little. The villagers affirmed Mr. Heathcliff was near, and a cruel hard landlord to his tenants, but the house inside had regained its ancient aspect of comfort under female management, and the scenes of riot common in Henley's time were not now enacted within its walls. The master was too gloomy to seek companionship with any people, good or bad, and he is yet. This, however, is not making progress with my story. Miss Cathy rejected the peace offering of the terrier and demanded her own dogs, Charlie and Phoenix. They came limping and hanging their heads, and we set out for home, sadly out of sorts, every one of us. I could not ring from my little lady how she had spent the day, except that, as I supposed, the goal of her pilgrimage was Penistone Crags, and she arrived without adventure to the gate of the farmhouse, when Hareton happened to issue forth, attended by some canine followers who attacked her train. They had a smart battle before their owners could separate them. That formed an introduction. Catherine told Hareton who she was and where she was going, and asked him to show her the way, finally beguiling him to accompany her. He opened the mysteries of the fairy cave and twenty other queer places. But, being in disgrace, I was not favored with a description of the interesting objects she saw. I could gather, however, that her guide had been a favorite till she hurt his feelings by addressing him as a servant, and Heathcliff's housekeeper hurt hers by calling him her cousin. Then the language he had held to her wrangled in her heart. She who was always love and darling and queen and angel with everybody at the Grange, to be insulted so shockingly by a stranger. She did not comprehend it, and hard work I had to obtain a promise that she would not lay the grievance before her father. I explained how he objected to the whole household at the Heights, and how sorry he would be to find she had been there, but insisted most on the fact that if she revealed my negligence of his orders, he would perhaps be so angry that I should have to leave, and Cathy couldn't bear that prospect. She pledged her word and kept it, for my sake, 
After all, she was a sweet little girl. Chapter 19. A letter, edged with black, announced the day of my master's return. Isabella was dead, and he wrote to bid me get mourning for his daughter and arrange a room and other accommodations for his youthful nephew. Catherine ran wild with joy at the idea of welcoming her father back, and indulged most sanguine anticipations of the innumerable excellences of her real cousin. The evening of their expected arrival came. Since early morning she had been busy, ordering her own small affairs, and now, attired in her new black frock, poor thing, her aunt's death impressed her with no definite sorrow, she obliged me, by constant worrying, to walk with her down through the grounds to meet them. "'Linton is just six months younger than I am,' she chattered, as we strolled leisurely over the swells and hollows of mossy turf under shadows of the trees. "'How delightful it will be to have him for a playfellow. Aunt Isabella sent Papa a beautiful lock of his hair. It was lighter than mine, more flaxen, and quite as fine. I have it carefully preserved in a little glass box, and I've often thought what pleasure it would be to see its owner. Oh, I am happy. And Papa, dear, dear Papa, come, Ellen, let us run. Come, run!' She ran, and returned, and ran again, many times before my sober footsteps reached the gate, and then she seated herself on the grassy bank beside the path, and tried to wait patiently, but that was impossible. She couldn't be still a minute. "'How long they are!' she exclaimed. "'Ah, I see some dust on the road. They are coming. No. When will they be here? May we not go a little way? Half a mile, Ellen. Only just half a mile. Do say yes, to that clump of birches at the turn.' I refused staunchly, and at length her suspense was ended. The traveling carriage rolled in sight. Miss Cathy shrieked and stretched out her arms as soon as she caught her father's face looking from the window. He descended, nearly as eager as herself, and a considerable interval elapsed ere they had thought to spare for any but themselves. While they exchanged caresses, I took a peep in to see after Linton. He was asleep in a corner, wrapped in a warm, fur-lined cloak as if it had been winter. A pale, delicate, effeminate boy, who might have been taken for my master's younger brother, so strong was the resemblance, but there was a sickly peevishness in his aspect that Edgar Linton never had. The latter saw me looking, and having shaken hands, advised me to close the door and leave him undisturbed, for the journey had fatigued him. Cathy would fain have taken one glance, but her father told her to come on, and they walked together up the park, while I hastened before to prepare the servants. "'Now, darling,' said Mr. Linton, addressing his daughter, as they halted at the bottom of the front steps, "'your cousin is not so strong or so merry as you are, and he has lost his mother, remember, a very short time since. Therefore, don't expect him to play and run about with you directly, and don't harass him much by talking. Let him be quiet this evening, at least, will you?' "'Yes, yes, papa,' answered Catherine, "'but I do want to see him, and he hasn't once looked out.' The carriage stopped, and the sleeper, being roused, was lifted to the ground by his uncle. "'This is your cousin, Cathy, Linton,' he said, putting their little hands together. "'She's fond of you already, and mind you don't grieve her by crying tonight. Try to be cheerful now. The traveling is at an end, and you have nothing to do but rest and amuse yourself as you please.' "'Let me go to bed, then,' answered the boy, shrinking from Catherine's salute, and he put his fingers to his eyes to remove incipient tears. "'Come, come, there's a good child,' I whispered, leading him in. You'll make her weep, too. See how sorry she is for you. I do not know whether it were sorrow for him, but his cousin put on as sad a countenance as himself, and returned to her father. All three entered, and mounted to the library, where tea was laid ready. I proceeded to remove Linton's cap and mantle, and placed him on a chair by the table, but he was no sooner seated than he began to cry afresh. My master inquired what was the matter. I can't sit on a chair, sobbed the boy. Go to the sofa, then, and Ellen shall bring you some tea, answered his uncle patiently. He had been greatly tried during the journey. I felt convinced by his fretful ailing charge. Linton slowly trailed himself off and lay down. Cathy carried a footstool and her cup to his side. At first she sat silent, but that could not last. She had resolved to make a pet of her little cousin, as she would have him to be, and she commenced stroking his curls and kissing his cheek and offering him tea in her saucer like a baby. This pleased him, for he was not much better. He dried his eyes and lightened into a faint smile. "'Oh, he'll do very well,' said the master to me, after watching them a minute. "'Very well, if we can keep him, Ellen.' The company of a child of his own age will instill new spirit into him, soon, and by wishing for strength he'll gain it. 
I, if we can keep him, I mused to myself, and sore misgivings came over me that there was slight hope of that. And then I thought, however will that weakly live at Wuthering Heights, between his father and Hareton? What playmates and instructors they'll be? Our doubts were presently decided, even earlier than I expected. I had just taken the children upstairs after tea was finished, and seen Linton asleep. He would not suffer me to leave him till that was the case. I had come down, and was standing by the table in the hall, lighting a bedroom candle for Mr. Edgar, when a maid stepped out of the kitchen and informed me that Mr. Heathcliff's servant, Joseph, was at the door and wished to speak with the master. "'I shall ask him what he wants first, I said, in considerable trepidation. "'A very unlikely hour to be troubling people, and the instant they have returned from a long journey, I don't think the master can see him.' Joseph had advanced through the kitchen as I uttered these words, and now presented himself in the hall. He was donned in his Sunday garments, with his most sanctimonious and sourest face. And, holding his hat in one hand and a stick in the other, he proceeded to clean his shoes on the mat. "'Good evening, Joseph,' I said coldly. "'What business brings you here tonight?' "'It's Master Linton Almond's fake till he answered, waving me disdainfully aside. "'Mr. Linton is going to bed. Unless you have something particular to say, I'm sure he won't hear it now,' I continued. "'You had better sit down in there and entrust your message to me.' "'Which is his rom?' pursued the fellow, surveying the range of closed doors. I perceived he was bent on refusing my mediation, so very reluctantly I went up to the library and announced the unseasonable visitor, advising that he should be dismissed till next day. Mr. Linton had no time to empower me to do so, for he mounted close at my heels, and pushing into the apartment, planted himself at the far side of the table, with his two fists clapped on the head of his stick, and began in an elevated tone, as if anticipating opposition. Heathcliff has sent me for his lad, and I'm one go back bat him. Edgar Linton was silent a minute, an expression of exceeding sorrow overcast his features, he would have pitied the child on his own account, but, recalling Isabella's hopes and fears, and anxious wishes for her son, and her commendations of him to his care, he grieved bitterly at the prospect of yielding him up, and searched in his heart how it might be avoided. No plan offered itself. The very exhibition of any desire to keep him would have rendered the claimant more peremptory. There was nothing left but to resign him. However, he was not going to rouse him from his sleep. Tell Mr. Heathcliff, he answered calmly, that his son shall come to Wuthering Heights tomorrow. He is in bed, and too tired to go the distance now. You may also tell him that the mother of Linton desired him to remain under my guardianship, and, at present, his health is very precarious. Noah, said Joseph, giving a thud with his prop on the floor and assuming an authoritative air. Noah, that man's nout. Haythcliff Max, no account o' to mutter, nor you nurther, but he'll have his lead, and I'm on take him, so now you know. You shall not tonight, answered Linton decisively. Walk downstairs at once and repeat to your master what I have said. Ellen, show him down. Go. And, aiding the indignant elder with a lift by the arm, he rid the room of him and closed the door. "'Vera wheel!' shouted Joseph as he slowly drew off. "'To morn, he's come hisn, and thrust him at, if ye dare!' Chapter 20 To obviate the danger of this threat being fulfilled, Mr. Linton commissioned me to take the boy home early, on Catherine's pony, and, said he, "'As we shall now have no influence over his destiny, good or bad, you must say nothing of where he's gone to my daughter.' She cannot associate with him hereafter, and it is better for her to remain in ignorance of his proximity, lest she should be restless and anxious to visit the heights. Merely tell her his father sent for him suddenly, and he has been obliged to leave us. Linton was very reluctant to be roused from his bed at five o'clock, and astonished to be informed that he must prepare for further travelling, but I softened off the matter by stating that he was going to spend some time with his father, Mr. Heathcliff, who wished to see him so much he did not like to defer the pleasure till he should recover from his late journey. "'My father!' he cried, in strange perplexity. Ma never told me I had a father. Where does he live? I'd rather stay with uncle. He lives a little distance from the Grange, I replied, just beyond those hills. Not so far, but you may walk over here when you get hardy, and you should be glad to go home and see him. You must try to love him as you did your mother, and then he will love you. But why have I not heard of him before? asked Linton. Why didn't Mamma and he live together as other people do? 
He had business to keep him in the north, I answered, and your mother's health required her to reside in the south. And why didn't Mamma speak to me about him? persevered the child. She often talked of uncle, and I learned to love him long ago. How am I to love papa? I don't know him. Oh, all children love their parents, I said. Your mother, perhaps, thought you would want to be with him if she mentioned him often to you. Let us make haste. An early ride on such a beautiful morning is much preferable to an hour's more sleep. Is she going with us? he demanded. The little girl I saw yesterday. Not now, replied I. Is uncle, he continued. No, I shall be your companion there, I said. Linton sank back on his pillow and fell into a brown study. I won't go without uncle, he cried at length. I can't tell where you mean to take me. I attempted to persuade him of the naughtiness of showing reluctance to meet his father. Still, he obstinately resisted any progress towards dressing, and I had to call for my master's assistance and coaxing him out of bed. The poor thing was finally got off with several delusive assurances that his absence should be short, that Mr. Edgar and Cathy would visit him, and other promises equally ill-founded, which I invented and reiterated at intervals throughout the way. The pure, heather-scented air and the bright sunshine and the gentle canter of Minnie relieved his despondency after a while. He began to put questions concerning his new home and its inhabitants with greater interest and liveliness. "'Is Wuthering Heights as pleasant a place as Thrushcross Grange?' he inquired, turning to take a last glance into the valley, whence the light mist mounted and formed a fleecy cloud on the skirts of the blue. "'It is not so buried in trees,' I replied, "'and it is not quite so large, but you can see the country beautifully all round, and the air is healthier for you, fresher and drier. You will, perhaps, think the building old and dark at first, though it is a respectable house, the next best in the neighborhood, and you will have such nice rambles on the moors.' Hareton Earnshaw, that is Miss Cathy's other cousin, and so yours in a manner, will show you all the sweetest spots, and you can bring a book in fine weather, and make a green hollow your study, and now and then your uncle may join you in a walk. He does frequently walk out on the hills. And what is my father like, he asked. Is he as young and handsome as uncle? He's as young, said I, but he has black hair and eyes, and looks sterner, and he is taller and bigger altogether. He'll not seem to you so gentle and kind at first, perhaps, because it is not his way. Still, mind you be frank and cordial with him and naturally he'll be fonder of you than any uncle, for you are his own. Black hair and eyes, mused Linton. I can't fancy him. Then I am not like him, am I? Not much, I answered. Not a morsel, I thought. Surveying with regret the white complexion and slim frame of my companion, and his large languid eyes, his mother's eyes, save that, unless a morbid touchiness kindled them, a moment, they had not a vestige of her sparkling spirit. How strange that he should never come to see Mamma and me, he murmured. Has he ever seen me? If he have, I must have been a baby. I remember not a single thing about him. "'Why, Master Linton,' said I, three hundred miles is a great distance, and ten years seem very different in length to a grown-up person compared with what they do to you. It is probable Mr. Heathcliff proposed going from summer to summer, but never found a convenient opportunity, and now it is too late. Don't trouble him with questions on the subject. It will disturb him for no good.' The boy was fully occupied with his own cogitations for the remainder of the ride, so we halted before the farmhouse garden gate. I watched to catch his impressions in his countenance. He surveyed the carved front and the low-browed lattices, straggling gooseberry bushes and crooked firs with solemn intentness and then shook his head his private feelings entirely disapproved of the exterior of his new abode but he had sense to postpone complaining there might be compensation within before he dismounted i went and opened the door it was half past six the family had just finished breakfast the servant was clearing and wiping down the table joseph stood by his master's chair telling some tale concerning a lame horse and hareton was preparing for the hayfield hello nelly cried mr heathcliff when he saw me i feared i should have to come down and fetch my property myself "'You've brought it, have you? Let us see what we can make of it.' He got up and strode to the door. Hareton and Joseph followed in gaping curiosity. Poor Linton ran a frightened eye over the faces of the three. "'Surely,' said Joseph after a grave inspection, "'he swapped with ye master, and yon's his lass.' Heathcliff, having stared his son into an ague of confusion, uttered a scornful laugh. "'God, what a beauty! What a lovely, charming thing!' he exclaimed. "'Haven't they reared it on snails and sour milk, Nelly? Oh, damn my soul!' 
but that's worse than I expected, and the devil knows I was not sanguine. I bid the trembling and bewildered child get down and enter. He did not thoroughly comprehend the meaning of his father's speech, or whether it were intended for him. Indeed, he was not yet certain that the grim, sneering stranger was his father, but he clung to me with growing trepidation, and on Mr. Heathcliff's taking a seat and bidding him come hither, he hid his face on my shoulder and wept. "'Tut-tut,' said Heathcliff, stretching out a hand and dragging him roughly between his knees, and then holding up his head by the chin. "'None of that nonsense. We're not going to hurt thee, Linton. Isn't that thy name? Thou art thy mother's child entirely. Where is my share in thee, puling chicken?' He took off the boy's cap and pushed back his thick flaxen curls, felt his slender arms and his small fingers, during which examination Linton ceased crying and lifted his great blue eyes to inspect the inspector. "'Do you know me?' asked Heathcliff, having satisfied himself that the limbs were all equally frail and feeble. "'No,' said Linton, with a gaze of vacant fear. "'You've heard of me, I dare say.' "'No,' he replied again. "'No? What a shame of your mother never to waken your filial regard for me. You are my son, then, I'll tell you.' and your mother was a wicked slut to leave you in ignorance of the sort of father you possessed. Now don't wince and color up, though it is something to see you have not white blood. Be a good lad, and I'll do it for you. Nellie, if you be tired, you may sit down. If not, get home again. I guess you'll report what you hear and see to the cipher at the Grange, and this thing won't be settled while you linger about it. Well, replied I, I hope you'll be kind to the boy, Mr. Heathcliff, or you'll not keep him long, and he's all you have akin in the wide world that you will ever know. Remember, I'll be very kind to him. You needn't fear, he said laughing. Only nobody else must be kind to him. I'm jealous of monopolizing his affection. And, to begin my kindness, Joseph, bring the lad some breakfast. Hareton, you infernal calf, be gone to your work. Yes, Nell, he added when they had departed. My son is prospective owner of your place, and I should not wish him to die till I was certain of being his successor. Besides, he's mine, and I want the triumph of seeing my descendant fairly lord of their estates, my child hiring their children to till their father's land for wages. That is the sole consideration which can make me endure the whelp. I despise him for himself, and hate him for the memories he revives, but that consideration is sufficient. He's as safe with me, and shall be tended as carefully as your master tends his own. I have a room upstairs, furnished for him in handsome style. I've engaged a tutor also, to come three times a week from twenty miles' distance to teach him what he pleases to learn. I've ordered Hareton to obey him, and, in fact, I've arranged everything with a view to preserve the superior and the gentleman in him above his associates. I do regret, however, that he so little deserves the trouble." If I wished any blessing in the world, it was to find him a worthy object of pride, and I'm bitterly disappointed with the way-faced whining wretch. While he was speaking, Joseph returned, bearing a basin of milk porridge, and placed it before Linton. He stirred round the homely mess with a look of aversion, and affirmed he could not eat it. I saw the old man-servant shared largely in his master's scorn of the child, though he was compelled to retain the sentiment in his heart, because Heathcliff plainly meant his underlings to hold him in honour. "'Cannot aid it,' repeated he, peering in Linton's face and subduing his voice to a whisper, for fear of being overheard. "'But Master Hareton never ate nought else. "'When he were a little, "'and what were good enough for him's good enough for you, "'I was rather think.' "'I shan't eat it,' answered Linton snappishly. "'Take it away.' "'Joseph snatched up the food indignantly and brought it to us. "'Is there aught else the victuals?' he asked, "'thrusting the tray under Heathcliff's nose. "'What should ail them?' he said. "'Wah,' well, answered Joseph. "'Yon dainty chap says he cannot eat em. "'But I guess it's right. "'His mother would just saw.' "'We were almost too mucky to sow the corn for making her bread.' "'Don't mention his mother to me,' said the master angrily. "'Get him something that he can eat, that's all. "'What is his usual food, Nellie?' "'I suggested boiled milk or tea, "'and the housekeeper received instructions to prepare some. "'Come,' I reflected, "'his father's selfishness may contribute to his comfort. "'He perceives his delicate constitution "'and the necessity of treating him tolerably. "'I'll console Mr. Edgar by acquainting him "'with the turn Heathcliff's humor has taken.' Having no excuse for lingering longer, I slipped out, while Linton was engaged in timidly rebuffing the advances of a friendly sheepdog, but he was too much on the alert to be cheated. 
As I closed the doors, I heard a cry and a frantic repetition of the words, Don't leave me! I'll not stay here! I'll not stay here! Then the latch was raised and fell. They did not suffer him to come forth. I mounted Minnie and urged her to a trot, and so my brief guardianship ended. Okay, so before we get into talking about everything that happened in these chapters, I just want to remind you how I'm able to make this podcast happen. Okay, so these chapters were pretty short. Um, they didn't really give us a ton of information. We mainly just got introduced to Linton um, and saw that, unfortunately, my my premonitions uh, last episode were not really right. And uh, although he was being raised by his mother and caring family and whatnot, and he would have been raised by Edgar and Nellie and <laughs> Kathy, but... Um, Heathcliff had other plans, so now he has to go and see all of that chaos. And as fragile as he is, both in physicality and constitution, I, I just don't see this going well for him. <laughs> I, I just, I really don't see how this could end well for him. Um, he's not doing very well already, and I mean, it seems like Heathcliff isn't going to treat him horrifically. He seems like he's going to, like, take care of the kid. But it's just like, I don't, I don't think being in that environment will help him get better. Um, the main thing that we saw in these, these chapters with Kathy figuring out that Wuthering Heights is a place and that Hareton and whatnot exist, um, because she was being a kid. You tell a kid not to do something, but you let them, uh, have freedoms and they're probably going to do the thing you told them not to do. Um... Not that I think that that was the smart thing to do, because, I mean, the dog still got hurt, and she scared everyone half to death, and she ended up getting really upset that Harrington was called her cousin, even though that's technically what he is. Um, I think she just doesn't really understand that somebody who is so awful could be related to her, even though he wasn't really being that awful to her. Uh, he responded in kind, I think, to how she would have responded if somebody called her a servant. He, I don't think, sees himself that way. And it's also just, like, kind of rude <laughs> if you're using that in a, like, negative way. Like, it's one thing if it was just, like, a statement of fact, but she was upset that she had treated him so kindly because he was a servant and she didn't deserve to treat him nice. Like, that just shows kind of how she views people who are working for her. Um, and I guess also kind of the view of, like, servants at the time, um... Although I feel like it kind of depended, like, family to family, where some were treated better than others. Yeah, she ended up escaping, not even escaping, just, like, leaving <laughs> while she was out and uh, venturing forth, and Hareton caught her, essentially, um, and then the, the maid didn't let her continue going because she was worried that she would get hurt if she went alone. Um, and then Nellie showed up, so she couldn't go with Hareton. But it was getting dark, so I feel like the, the servant shouldn't have thought it would be, like, a good idea to let them go anyways. Like, if it's getting dark and it's about to be nighttime, going somewhere that's kind of dangerous seems even less like a good idea. Uh, so, I don't understand that, but regardless, she now knows that Wuthering Heights is a thing, that Hareton exists, um, she knows of Heathcliff. All of the work that her father had done, essentially, to keep her from knowing of this existence uh, is kind of thwarted just by her desiring to go to this one place that she expressed an interest in going to and then was, like, vehemently told against it. So, 
I'm curious to see how that ends up panning out, uh, because they didn't tell Kathy that he was going to Wuthering Heights, um, so I, I'm very curious to see how that ends up working, and how long it takes her to go back, honestly, I do not think that she will stay away. I think she will definitely go looking for Linton, um, if she gets any inkling that he might be nearby, uh, so... We shall see how long it takes, um, whether she goes alone, whether she tells her father that she knows. There's a lot of possibilities, I think, now, which if nothing else is good because after the last set of chapters, I wasn't really sure where we were going to go. So if nothing else, we now have some answers in that regard and we got to meet Linton finally after, what, 13 years? 14 years? 13-ish years? So we were starting to get closer to caught up to modern day. Um, we're filling in some of the blanks. So I think there's a lot of potential here and I, I'm curious to see where it goes. Thanks for listening. This has been chapters 18 through 20 of Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Tune in on Thursday for chapters 21 through 23. 